Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, doing the Times crossword puzzle, and uh, one of the clues was close associates to be wary of. Close associates to be wary of. And the answer was nine letters long. You don't do the puzzle that day? I th- I'm pretty sure I remember having the, the first letter from one of, a cross, one of the crossing answers. The first letter was F. Close associates to be wary of. The answer was frenemies. You should be doing the puzzle. It was a Friday puzzle. Yeah. Frenemies. It's a made-up word. Friends who are enemies. Or maybe enemies who are friends. So as you've heard, we've been talking about friendship this fall, about being friends with God, friends with others, friends with the world. And today I do kind of want to push out to the farthest edge and talk about friends and enemies. See, I think we want to imagine, and and maybe this is especially true for those whose lives are fairly settled and comfortable. We want to imagine that friendship um, can overcome differences and disagreements and divisions. We kind of want to hope that enemies are really just friends we haven't made yet. And if we could just meet up, if we could just sit together, if we could maybe just talk over pie and coffee, because in my experience, pie has wondrous powers, that we could surely find common ground, common understanding. We might not agree, but we could get along. We could be frenemies. And sometimes that works, you know. I mean, I'm a Giants fan. I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. And I can grudgingly be friends with Dodger fans. Some of you are Duck fans. Some of you are Beaver fans. I'd like to think that you could be frenemies too. Friendships sometimes can overcome differences. But sometimes there are differences that are worth having. And I want to go so far as to say sometimes there are enemies that are worth having. I don't know what's going on with the mics up here today. I guess we could just use this. I'll just use this one. Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, so our reading today from Matthew 5 comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus uh, teaches love your enemies. Jesus assumes that his listeners then that his followers still will have enemies, maybe even should have enemies. But to love our enemies, it seems to me that we first have to rightly understand enemy and rightly understand love. An enemy is more than just someone we disagree with, someone we dislike. It's more than an office rival. It's more than just a cranky old neighbor. Uh, we heard the Hebrew word earlier in the New Testament language in which the New Testament's written Greek. The word for enemy is a version of the word for hatred, for hostility, for enmity. Often an enemy is one who can inflict harm. So Melissa Floor Bixler, and some of you will uh, maybe remember Melissa. She and Jacob were part of this congregation quite a while ago when they lived in Portland. She wrote a book called How to Have an Enemy. And in it, she links enemy to power. When there are enemies, one holds power over the other, or there is a conflict over who holds power. Now, of course, power is part of every relationship. Power is necessary. It's inescapable. It's how anything happens. 
But power can inflict harm. Power can be oppressive. And that use of power starts to point us toward a right understanding of enemy. We also have to rightly understand love. Love is not just likability. Love is not tolerance. Love is not indulgence. And love is certainly not blind to the dynamics of power. This text, Love Your Enemies, has been wrongly used in the church to tell abused women to go home and live with their abusive husbands. It's been told to tell, it's been used to tell indigenous people, black people, and brown people to forgive their oppressors and then to continue living with their oppression. That is not love. So, we have to rightly understand enemy and we have to rightly understand love if we are going to love our enemies rightly. Jesus had enemies. Jesus made enemies. Jesus was a Palestinian living under the occupying power of the Romans. The thing about the Roman Empire is they didn't really care that much about religion. You could kind of be any religion you want. So the fact that Jesus was a teacher, was a rabbi, that didn't matter to them at all. What they wouldn't tolerate, though, was anyone questioning their power or anyone stirring up trouble. Jesus was Jewish. And at that time, some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem had made accommodations to the Romans to sustain their power, their religious power. So as Jesus went through Galilee, as Jesus told stories of God's love, as Jesus fed people and healed people, as he broke down barriers, uh, social barriers, religious barriers, political barriers, as he challenged the conventions of religion, as he talked about another way of living together, as he talked about a different kind of politics, the kingdom of God, and this in a country that already had a ruler, there were people who actively opposed him, people who sought to harm him, so that by the time he got to Jerusalem, the powers that beat, the religious powers, political powers had had enough. They arrest him, they try him, they crucify him, and they kill him. Jesus had enemies. People, institutions, principalities and powers opposed to the unsettling, liberating, transformative good news of God's love that Jesus embodied. And it seems to me those are enemies worth having still. If we're going to be opposed to violence, whether that's a violence of police in our cities or the gun culture in our country or the violence in Israel, the violence in Gaza, if we're going to insist on hospitality, insist that people on the street ought to have a safe place to call home, if we're going to insist that this country ought to welcome refugees, if we're going to work against the inequities of some having too much and too many not having nearly enough, then we're going to find ourselves on opposite sides of the status quo the conventional wisdom and the powers that be. Jesus had enemies who stood against the indiscriminate, just, insistent love of God. Now what's troubling is that that enemy is sometimes us. There are times that we do not love God with our whole heart and mind and soul. Times we do not love our neighbors as ourselves. Times that we hurt people and deceive and harm people. Times we ignore suffering, times we excuse injustice. That's what the Bible calls sin. Sometimes the enemy is us. The good news, and it's good news for each of us, it's good news for all of us, is that Jesus refused to hate his enemies. 
Jesus refused to give in to the logic of hatred, the logic of revenge and retaliation and force and violence. He refused to give in to the logic of eye for an eye because that leaves everyone blind. And so even as he was being crucified, Jesus forgave the ones who were killing him. And by breaking that cycle of enemy hate, Jesus shows us what the love of God looks like. He shows us the power of God's love. He helps us rightly understand love. Martin Luther King, uh, writing about this particular text, uh, wrote, Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, the command to love one's enemy is an absolute necessity for our survival. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. To love enemies, we have to trust in the power of God's enemy love. And it begins by trusting that we are loved, even when we are unlovable. Even when we have failed to be the people we wish we could be, even when we let anger turn to bitterness, even when we harbor vengefulness and hatred, and I have to be honest, as I've been watching the news this week, it has been hard for me not to hate people that I perceive to be enemies. But even then, Paul assures us in Romans, God proves God's love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In his life and death and resurrection, Jesus asks us to trust that we are loved, that each of us are loved, that all of us are loved, that you are loved, and that God's love has the power to forgive and to heal and to reconcile, the power to make us sisters and brothers to each other, to break the cycles of addiction and abuse and oppression, and to draw us more and more deeply into the beloved community that God intends for all creation. Love is the only force capable of making an enemy into a friend. Even if we rightly understand the enemy and rightly understand love, still, what does it look like to love our enemies? And uh, knowing that I have felt some hatred toward people I perceive to be enemies this week, this is mostly me trying to work this out, and I'm not sure I got it right, so I'm happy for your help and your input along the way. It seems to me, uh, to love our enemies, that the first, or one of the first things we need to do is to name our enemies. There are people with whom we have differences and disagreements, people we may, not, we may dislike. Those may not necessarily be our enemies. Frenemies, maybe. Maybe those are the folks to sit down and have a piece of pie with and work it out. But there are disagreements that we can't just find a middle ground on. There are differences that are worth having, and so there are enemies, it seems to me, that are worth having. So I have in mind here James Baldwin. James Baldwin was a brilliant author. He was a social critic. He was a black man writing in the midst of the civil rights movement. And he wrote this one time, We can disagree and still love each other. Unless, unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity 
and right to exist. We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression. Whoever uses power to oppress people, to deny the humanity of people, to question the right of people to exist, whoever harms people, whoever sustains cycles of violence, those are enemies worth having. When Gazans, when Gazans and Palestinians are called animals, when trans people are erased and denied care, when poor people are put in harm's way for profit's sake, those seem like enemies worth having. And those are exactly the enemies that Jesus calls us to love, which is very difficult and very dangerous. Remember, Jesus loved his enemies and he got killed for his efforts. So, name our enemies first. Second, it seems to me, is even if we're not sure how to love our enemies, we at least cannot hate our enemies. We cannot give in to the logic of revenge and rage and retaliation. So Thomas Merton, and I'm relying on a number of other folks here because it feels to me like we need to draw in as wide a frame of wisdom as we can. Thomas Merton, uh, in a book called, in his book, Passion for Peace, wrote this. Merely to resist evil with evil by hating those who hate us and seeking to destroy them is actually no resistance at all. It is active and purposeful collaboration in evil that brings the Christian into direct and intimate contact with the same source of evil and hatred which inspires the acts of his enemy. Hate for hate brings us into direct and intimate contact the same source of evil. Hatred for hatred, eye for eye, violence for violence. It all taps into the same source. And if we're not careful, we end up becoming the monster that we're fighting. Even if we're not trying to love our enemies, we cannot hate our enemies. Third, third, um, it is helpful to see our enemies clearly. And here I'll draw from Frederick Buechner, because he's always been a wise spiritual guide for me. And again, he's writing on this text. Jesus says we're to love our enemies and pray for them, meaning love not in an emotional sense, but in the sense of willing their good, which is the sense in which we love ourselves. It is a tall order even so. African Americans love white supremacists. The mother of the molested child loved the molester. But when you see as clearly as that who your enemies are, at least you see your enemies clearly, too. Seeing what is hateful about them, you may catch a glimpse also of where the hatefulness comes from. Seeing the hurt they cause you, you may also see the hurt they cause themselves. You're still light years away from loving them, to be sure. But at least you see how they are human, even as you are human. It's possible that you may even get to where you can pray for them a little. In the long run, it may be easier to love the ones we look in the eye and hate than the ones whom, because we're as afraid of ourselves as we are of them, we choose not to look at all. Seeing our enemies clearly, you might catch a glimpse of how they are human, like we are human, how they are also made in the image of God. And fourth, uh, we can pray for our enemies. Uh, in the Talmud, which is a compendium of, of Jewish teaching and wisdom, uh, there's a story about praying for enemies. It's a story about Rabbi Meyer. It goes like this. There were hooligans in Rabbi Meyer's neighborhood 
who caused them a great deal of anguish. Rabbi Meyer prayed for God to have mercy on them that they should die. <laughs> Rabbi Meyer's wife, uh, Berea, said to him, what are you thinking? Will the world be better if the wicked are destroyed? Or should one pray for an end to their transgressions, not for the demise of the transgressors themselves? Rather, pray for God to have mercy on them that they should repent. And if they repent, then the wicked will be no more. And Rabbi Meyer saw that his wife was correct and he prayed for God to have mercy on them and they repented. We can pray for our enemies and pray for ourselves. Pray for mercy and repentance. Pray that we might all turn away from fear and hatred and vengefulness. Pray that we might all turn more and more toward mercy and justice and compassion and peace, that we might turn more and more to the love of God that is powerful enough to transform an enemy into a friend. May God grant us such wisdom and courage.